You'll have to bear with me a little bit. I've been fighting a cold most of the week, so my voice may not be what it uh, has been. So uh, as we've been looking at different uh, parts of Thanksgiving and, and thankfulness this, these uh, f- last few weeks, and this one we look at how uh, in, the, in the fullness of our gratitude we can pour out generosity. And we're going to look at an Old Testament example of this. And while we're going to look at generosity and, and, and giving, uh, this is not a giving message. This isn't a financial plea message. This is just a message of when we, have, when we are full of gratitude and thankfulness, generosity is a natural overflow of that. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here. We're going to be in Exodus and primarily Exodus chapter 35 and a little bit into Exodus chapter 36. But to really get an understanding of where we are here in this passage, uh, we need to do some quick context. Uh, you don't need to flip through here. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to try and quickly run through what's going on. So we're going to back up at least to chapter 19. I'm going to kind of quickly give you some context of where we are. So in chapter 19, the nation of Israel following Moses arrives at Mount Sinai and the Lord descends on the mountain in fire, displaying his glory and his power. And the people get a little bit afraid because of how he has presented himself on the mountain. In verses 20 through 23, the Lord gives foundational laws for Israel and establishes the Sinai covenant. We have the Ten Commandments and there are a few other commandments and covenantal uh, things established, uh, given there, and uh, through the Lord's direction, Moses establishes the Sinai covenant between the people and the Lord. Chapter 24, the Sinai covenant is confirmed with sacrifices, and the Lord calls Moses to up the mountain for 40 days. Then from chapter 25 through chapter 31, The Lord gives the direction to build the tabernacle, how to build the furniture, how to build the tabernacle, uh, what the priestly garments are going to look like, and how to consecrate the priests. So from 25 to 31, it's a lot of discussion on this is how we are establishing worship of the Lord for the nation of Israel. This is how you're going to build the tabernacle where I will meet with them and dwell in the midst of them. This is the furniture that's going to look like and how it's going to be used. This is how the priests are going to be dressed. This is how we consecrate the priests. Moses is gathering all this and this is taking 40 days. And then in chapter 32, chapter 32 is where things go wrong. And they go wrong in a big, in kind of a big way. Think of it like this. As I was prepping this, I was kind of having this thought of, you know, if this was a movie or something, what we might do is we, we might see the scene of Moses on the mountain writing these things down. And then at the end of chapter 31, we'd have a fade to black. The word meanwhile would spread across the, across the screen and in fade chapter 32. And in chapter 32, 
Israel takes a wrong turn. A wrong turn. And this is your first section there on the, on the outline there. A wrong turn. We're just going to look at the first six verses. Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that, we shall, that shall go before us. For as, for as for this man Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings that which are in your ears, ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that, they, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So this, we're going to back up to verse 30, to chapter 32. We need to spend a little bit of time here to, to kind of understand what we'll see in chapter 35 and 36. So Moses has been gone for 40 days. Nobody really knows what has happened to him. They're probably thinking, we don't know what happened. Did he die? Was he consumed by the power of the Lord on, on the mountain? Maybe he just starved. Maybe he tripped and hit his head and, and has died someplace. We don't know. He hasn't come back. We don't know what's going on. So the people go to Aaron and ask him to make an idol to be their God. And remarkably, Aaron caves in. This is Aaron. This is Aaron who spoke to Pharaoh for the Lord on behalf of Moses. He went with Moses before Pharaoh and he spoke the words the Lord had, had said. We see this in chapter seven, verses one and two. This is the same Aaron who spoke to the Israelites on behalf of Moses when Moses returned to Egypt. Chapter four, verses 28 to 31. This is Aaron who the Lord, when talking to Moses said, fine, you don't want to talk Aaron, your brother, he speaks well. This is Aaron who speaks well, and he caves to the Israelites. Why did he not condemn them for their actions? Remind them of the covenant and the commandment for no other gods that they just received 40 days ago. He caves in. He tells the people to give him the gold earrings from their wives and children, which is, and they do that. And he makes a golden statue of a young bull calf. Not only did he make an idol, he made a good one. He was clearly a good craftsman to have formed this idol. Now, we don't know whether he had a, a mold and cast and cast it solid, or if he, or if there had a carving of a, a large carving of a, a bull calf, and then 
overlaid it with gold. We're not sure. There's a little bit of ambiguity in the language there. But, and there may be fine detail work there, but it's a little ambiguity. But he formed it well enough that everyone knew what it was. And in some sense, we're not sure why he went with a bull calf. Uh, There is plenty of calves and bulls in other other religions around the area. Certainly would have hearkened back to Egypt a little bit. But he does. And the people start to exalt this idol as the gods who brought them out of Egypt. But what's interesting, what's interesting is that it appears that the Israelites still understood Yahweh. They still understood the God of Abraham was the one who redeemed them from Egypt. Excuse me. He was still the one that redeemed them from Egypt so that this idol may not have been a replacement, but that it was either for him to be his image to embody him, or it was to replace Moses as the messenger that closely linked them to the Lord. So either this idol was to be the embodiment of the Lord, or it was to be the, the embodiment for the divine messenger to be between them and the Lord. Now, seeing that the people were pleased with this idol, Aaron tries to salvage worship for the Lord. And he sets up, he sets up an idol, or excuse me, a, an altar in front of the idol, which is very clearly to be for the idol, but then declares the next day to be a feast day, a festival day for the Lord. He tries to salvage worship to Yahweh through this act of setting up an altar and declaring a feast day. Excuse me a moment. So the next day, that's exactly what happened. The people got up early. They brought burnt and peace offerings. They used that altar that Aaron had built in front of this idol. And they had a feast and partied. Now, the end of, the, the end of that verse is they got up and played. That word uh, has the idea of dancing, has the idea of sport play. There is a possible meaning of uh, immoral activities happening with that word. However, there is a lack of context in the chapter um, linking immoral activities with that word. Unlike when Israel sinned by worshiping Baal at Peor in Numbers 25, where they engaged in immoral acts of worship, quote-unquote. So there's a little bit of, some have taken it, although obviously there's immoral actions going on here. 
there's also a lack of context backing that up. Because there are other places where dancing and play has been part of proper worship of Yahweh in other passages in the Old Testament. It's not, so that, that word certainly does, can have that positive connotation, even if it's misdirected here. Now, as we go, if we were to go through the rest of chapter 32, the Lord informs Moses of what is happening and says that he's going to eliminate the nation and make Moses a great nation, transferring the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to Moses. Now, it's quite possible that not all the people engage in idolatry. Uh, the, Quite possible, if we jump down to verse 26, we'll see that when he calls those to stand on the Lord's side, the Le all the Levites come forward. Some of them may have been engaged in the idolatry. Some of them may not have. But all the Levites are the ones that came to Moses when he called for those who will stand with the Lord. And there may have been others too. And it's possible if... Uh, even if the Lord says he's going to eliminate the nation, it's possible that he would have left some of the other tribes. I think probably some of the tribe of Judah, at least, may have been left. Because in Genesis, back at the end of Genesis, with Jacob giving the promises and inheritance over his sons, he tells Judah that the scepter will not pass from him. So some of the tribe of Judah likely would have remained because... Most of the time we see that passage in Genesis as a messianic promise saying that Judah's line will be the royal line and that the Messiah will come there. <clears throat> but in this back and forth with the Lord, Moses intercedes for the nations. He goes down to them and the, the tablet that held some of the commandments and the covenant he carried down with him. And he, when he sees what the people are doing, he is angered and he tosses them down and he breaks them. The tablets that the Lord himself inscribed the commandments upon. He kind of rebukes Aaron. Aaron gives some he says, how could you let this happen? He said, they came to me and said, he, he, make, a, make, make us idol. Here's the gold. And I cast it in the fire. And out came this calf. Come on, Aaron. You probably helped a little bit more than that, but whatever. Moses then calls for those uh, who will stand on the Lord's side and the Levites stand with him. And he leads the Levites into executing 3,000 men for the idolatry. Likely 3,000 men of the idolaters. The next day, Moses again speaks with the Lord and intercedes, seeking forgiveness for the nation, which is given, though the Lord sends a plague through the people for their, for their idolatry. Now the word that's there for plague, it likely maybe better understood as strike, but it doesn't say what the plague was, just like I will strike the people. He struck the people, uh, but plague is a good 
uh, way to understand that in our uh, to understand that verse. Now you're probably thinking, where is this going? What has any of this to do with thankfulness and generosity and giving? We're getting there. So a little bit more context here. In chapter 33, Israel is told to leave Mount Sinai. Moses sets up a tent, just a small tent, outside the camp, which he calls the tent of meeting. And this is where he meets with the Lord, and he continues to intercede for Israel. In fact, in 33, it says that whenever uh, he would head to the tent of meeting, the people would come to their tent doors and watch. He would go into the tent of meeting, and the pillar of cloud, the glory of the Lord, would descend in front of the tent of meeting. And when the, when the cloud descend, descended in front of the tent, all the people bowed and worshipped in front of their tents. Chapter 34, Moses cuts new tablets and the Lord inscribes again his commands for the people. Chapter 34 also has the renewing of the covenant. And after this, when Moses returns to the people, his face shines with the glory of the Lord so that he has to wear a veil when he's dressing the people. But when he goes to the tent of meeting to dress, to, to, to speak with the Lord, he unveils his face. Then, in chapter 35, Moses assembles the people and he begins to give them Sabbath regulations. And then we see the beginning of the fulfillment of the command the Lord gave in chapter 25. So, chapter 35, and looking at verses 4 through 9. <clears throat> 4 through 9. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering up to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ramskins, dyed blood, dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. So in verses, so in chapter 35, verses four to nine, we have, <clears throat> we have tabernacle giving. Giving for the tabernacle, tabernacle giving. Now, back in Exodus 25, you'll remember we, in verses 1 through 9, the Lord begins the instructions for the tabernacle, and, and the Lord specifically instructs Moses to have the people take up an offering, in our terms, a contribution of goods and materials to construct the tabernacle. And Exodus 35, 4 to 9, initiates the fulfillment of what the Lord had previously told Moses. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exodus 25, 8. 
Moses instructs the people of Israel to take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Then Moses provides this list of materials that can be given as an offering towards the tabernacle. And that list that he gives is the same list the Lord gave him in 25 verses 3 to 7. It is basically identical. I think there are slight word difference, but all the materials are listed exactly the same in pretty much the exact same order. But before announcing the list, Moses clarifies the type of contribution that Israel was asked to give. Moses tells them, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. That's the ESV, chapter 35, verse 5. The words generous heart are translated from two Hebrew words, which means something like freely giving heart, a freely giving heart. The first word is uh, nadim or nadiv, which means pertaining to being voluntarily and uncoerced, implying generosity. Pertaining to voluntary and uncoerced. The second Hebrew word is uh, lev, which is translated heart. It can mean heart, mind, soul, spirit, self. It's the source of life of the inner person. Moses is inviting everyone who has a generous heart to give. The Lord could have very easily commanded, everyone will give this, 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 and this. He said, anyone who has of a generous heart can give, and these are the items we need. Unlike Aaron, when they asked him to make an idol, he said, give me the gold of these earrings. This offering is not mandated or coerced. The children of Israel gave freely as moved in their hearts. The thought of giving from the heart is, of course, found in the New Testament as well. Part of what we read this morning, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And the people respond to the invitation to give. If we jump down to verse 29 of chapter 35, we read all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord, had, uh, for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. And boy, did they give. Here we switch into Exodus chapter 36. 
In Exodus 36, verses 1 to 3, the construction for the tabernacle begins as Moses distributes all the offerings to the various skilled workers. Exodus 36, verses 1 to 3. Bezael and Oholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezael and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution from the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. The construction began, the, 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 the craftsmen all met. These two were put in charge. Things were starting to work. Yet the people kept bringing offerings. Every morning they came to Moses and brought more to go to the work for the sanctuary. So even though the construction project had started, the people continued to give freely and generously. They kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. In fact, their willingness to give was so tremendous that the skilled workers stopped their work to find Moses. We see that in verse 4 of 36. In verse 5, they go to him and say, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. They've brought way more than we need. So as a result of the continued generosity, Moses gave an order to the people that they were to stop giving. Verses 6 and, and 7 of 36 reads, So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more work. They had brought so much more that it was sufficient to get all the work done plus some. Donations were beginning to pile up. What an overflow of generosity. I should save this message for the developer's banquet for camp and give a real charge for the building project. But there was an overflow of generosity. A few of you may remember a couple of years ago, but in December of 2020, the BBC reported on a pay-it-forward cause and effect from Brainerd, Minnesota. Think, first, think of that. The BBC was reporting on a story from Brainerd. This, this story was enough that it, that it jumped, not only picked up in CNN and Fox and CBS, along with the locals, it made it across the pond. They reported on a pay-it-forward at a, at a Brainerd, Minnesota, Dairy Queen drive through One customer asked to pay for the car behind him in addition to his own meal. He started a chain reaction that lasted through 900 customers, $10,000 in sales, two and a half days. 
When the store shut down, this was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. When the store shut down for night on both Thursday and Friday, the last customer paid in advance to start the next morning. As I was checking some of the others and found the, the, the local report on this, the, the Thursday night, the last customer left $10 to start things off. Someone else had heard about this, called in and left $80. So they had $90 to start the next morning. The goodness impacted more than 900 customers, employees at the restaurant and bystanders on social media and everyone in the community were lifted by witnessing such a small yet significant demonstration of gratitude leading, leading toward generosity. Now, of course, this was December 2020. This was uh, middle of the pandemic, and so big fluff pieces were nice to hear. But the idea of the generosity and just continuing it, we, Mariah and I had seen small versions of this happen at the drive-thru at Caribou in Austin. I don't know how long it lasted, maybe an afternoon. I don't know if you've ever been caught in one of these. <laughs> but you pull up, the cashier says, your order is paid for by the car in front of you. What? <laughs> you, you take a second, wait, what? Did I, I didn't recognize the car. What? And then it dawns on you, oh, okay. What's their, what's their price? And you ask about the car behind you. Sure, we'll take care of that. Or the gratitude of something done for you, that generosity comes up and you pay and you pass it on. Generosity comes from that gratitude. So in this uh, example in Exodus, when the Lord moves for a project, the people of God give generously. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul gives some instructions on financial giving to the Corinthians, likely for the gathering of funds for the churches in Judea. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, Paul commends the churches of Macedonia as an example to the Corinthians for generous, sincere, and godly giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you hear that? A severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means for their own accord, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. 
The Macedonian churches, likely including Philippi and Thessalonica, gave abundantly with joy from their own poverty. More than they probably could afford, but they gave. They wanted to give so much that they pleaded with Paul to, no, we want to give you this gift to take to the saints in Judea. Israel's willingness to give was the overflow of a thankful heart. Think about this. Israel had witnessed God in powerful ways. He had delivered them from bondage in Egypt and enabled them to cross the Red Sea, chapter 14. He provided manna from heaven, Exodus 16, and water from a rock, chapter 17. Chapter 33, he had promised his presence to go with Israel on their journey. They had witnessed, and I think this is the bigger part we need to really get a hold of here. They had witnessed God's mercy and grace. They had committed idolatry shortly after receiving the Ten Commandments, and though the Lord still judged them for their sin... A chance of repentance was given and forgiveness was given. At many points in the account of Israel and Exodus, we see this traumatized people acting fearfully, complaining, or worrying, and in some course cases, rightly so. Who of us would acclimate any better to leaving everything we've ever known to go through the desert and then wind up having to wander through the desert for a lifetime. Yet at some point, they learn to trust God's provision, even with gratitude. And I think what really catches me here is that this comes shortly after the calf. We go from the golden calf to giving abundantly to establish the tabernacle. They saw grace and mercy and were thankful and they realized who the Lord was and what he had done and they were thankful for his provision, his goodness, his presence. And so they gave to the work of the Lord. So as we cultivate thankful hearts for God of God's goodness, his provision, his presence, the natural overflow of our lives should also be generosity. Generosity is gratitude in action. Generosity is gratitude in action. I should fit in a commercial here and remind you that the offering box is in the back. <laughs> but generosity is a gratitude in action. And like the people of Israel who, having come from that sin account of the golden calf, being thankful for who the Lord is and for his provision, and his goodness, but we can be thankful for his mercy and his grace 
of the forgiveness that we have. So no matter what we're facing today as individuals or as a church, we can take our eyes off of our pain. We can take our eyes off of ourselves and put them onto Christ with the help of the Spirit and practice of gratitude. We may have our eyes opened to the needs around us and find joy, and not only in our experiences, but also by caring for others. What a magnificent way to obey Jesus' command to love God and to love our neighbor. What a gift God has wired us in such a way that when we obey his command to be grateful, we kind of improve our own lives and the lives of everyone around us. So let our church be a community of such a place. Let us cultivate thankful hearts for God's goodness, provision, and presence. And generosity will overflow naturally from our lives. Let's pray.